0: Many people assume that there is some magic formula for success in identity. Maybe it's having the right degree, maybe it's knowing the right people, or maybe it's having a particular set of skills. Well, today on Mistaken Identity, we interview three sets of people who are eminently unqualified, at least at first glance. You see, they've come from outside the expected backgrounds, the expected channels. Their stories vary widely, but they have all found themselves thriving within the identity space. Three pairs of people, three sets of stories, six unique journeys into identity, all on this single episode of Mistaken Identity. What follows is a set of interviews we conducted live at the recent Identiverse conference in Denver, Colorado. Three pairs of people sat down to describe their current roles, their background, and how their unexpected past informs how they do identity today. Our first pair of stories share a deep liberal arts background.
1: I'm Steve Hutchinson. Call me Hutch. I'm the vice president for security architecture at Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group, which is the world's fifth largest bank that many people here haven't heard of. Also very honored to be on the founding board of ID Pro, And until this past Sunday, I was their treasurer,
2: which I have managed to pawn off to John. Ooh. Fantastic. And that's a natural segue. On and now the treasurer for IDPRO, and member of the board of directors. I also, if you check my LinkedIn, this doesn't mean I am representing them in any official capacities today, but the director of Okta on Okta at Okta.
0: Tell me about your background. These are impressive job titles, but where did you come from?
1: Back in the, the dark ages, in the 80s, I was a proud cavalier at the University of Virginia, where my major was history, which is... My absolute passion, thank God. I had the computer science minor because that's what's paid the bill for 30 years. But if I could have made a, a living doing history, I would absolutely have done that.
0: So finance moved you into security, possibly?
1: Financial considerations, the job market. It's amazing how many people were not looking for history majors when <laughs> recruiters came around.
0: Which is odd, because there's a lot of history and not a lot of identity.
1: There's a surprising number of history majors in the identity space. As I've come to find out there, there are more of us than you think. And one of the things that's great about that is it's important to understand what history teaches you, especially at the collegiate level, is it teaches you all the reasons why things happened. Rather than, for example, looking at the Civil War and just looking at it as a series of battles, Understanding the financial situation that helped drive the political instability, where that came from, that the outcomes were more logistics and being able to move resources when you needed to. The same thing holds true when you look at the history of identity. If you just come into it now and you only see the standards as we have them exist now, it's helpful and informative to understand how those standards got formed where they came from, the people who put them together, and the reasons why they were formed like that originally, and the reasons why it morphed over a period of
0: time. Which may or may not be the best of reasons.
1: Which could be. No, some of those are but at least you understand why the decisions were made.
0: Makes sense. And John?
2: I got my start. In Identity, and I was in Identity for four years before realizing I was working in Identity. I started in an enterprise call center for what used to be a parent company at the University of Phoenix. And it was the one marketable skill I had, which was my A-plus certification. And that got me in the door, and it turned out that was to support the launch of their brand new role-based access control system, which they had to fire off to become stocks compliant. So they just needed warm bodies on the phone. So I started off by talking, walking people through the entire process and what could happen and the works. And before I eventually moved on to financial services in the same organization where I was doing a lot of account and entitlement management. And it wasn't until 2009 when I finally joined the identity and access management team in an official capacity and I was able to recontextualize my previous work experience and understand just how pervasive identity was in my career.
0: So did you use Spanish?
2: Yeah, <laughs> heavens no. No, <laughs> like so many other allegedly smart kids in the 90s, what the plan is to go to law school so you can be successful. So I wanted a Mickey Mouse major from probably one of the most prestigious educational institutions on earth, Arizona State, in order to deduce my GPA and give me the best shot at uh, landing a good law school. But then I looked around and realized that path was not good. Uh, the prognosis was terrible. Now, I will say that the amount of writing and analysis and everything else you have to do inside of a liberal arts major, tremendously helpful. Writing it is really an underappreciated skill, just broadly speaking, especially in business and doubly so inside of technology, in my opinion. Oh. I would, I would concur.
1: And it's funny that you bring up the law school because it was, the, I knew I was in trouble my third year, of college when everybody in my major class, was asking which law school I was applying to. I said I wasn't going to law school, and they're like, "What are you majoring in history for? What are you going to do?" And it's, I don't know, but I like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this oh man, I wish we had two hours and access to. That. Hutch's repository of alcohol. Do you regret being an identity now?
1: Not at all. No, of this course is a, not. This is, I, it's a field that's full of technology that's incredibly relevant in the, the IT space. It's full of people who are experts who are easier to reach out to than I think people realize. I feel if I can help anybody with anything. If I can provide any kind of mentorship, it's to teach them that the bar that you need to cross over to get into the space, to be speaking at conferences, to be talking to the experts in the field, is low. And all of those people, I've yet to meet people who are not incredibly open to be able to do this. From myself,
2: of course not. I'm very fortunate, I count myself unnaturally lucky that I've fallen backwards in the career through the progression of events that has happened that I, I certainly do not plan it um, and if there's one thing that I would hope people would take away is from hearing about my dumb major from my dumb collegiate institution is the barrier is remarkably low and I think people often sell themselves short in terms of what the expectations could be for them to accomplish great things in the industry and one thing I really like about IDpro is the emphasis on you know deconstructing that myth and trying to help everybody else realize and, and live up to their potential and realize that there's nothing, there's no difference between myself or even Hutch here and anybody
0: else. Our second pair of stories originate in the natural sciences.
3: So, my name is Sarah Cicchetti. I'm a principal product manager at AWS Identity as well as a board member of ID Pro, But my undergraduate degree is actually in physics.
0: What kind of physics?
3: Just plain physics, normal everyday physics. And I did that because I wanted something where, like I knew I wanted to go into a science but if you go into biology or chemistry, like there aren't really right answers, whereas physics, like it's an equation. And all you're, even if you're in very high-level PhD physics, like you are trying to make those equations match. And we haven't found the right answer yet for a unified theory, but there is a right answer in there somewhere. And then eventually I fell into identity, which has no right answers at all. So it's very ironic.
0: Uh, I totally agree on that physics assessment. Don't you agree with that, Dean? Uh, I agree.
4: And in fact, I'm glad that you have the degree in physics, because I was never going <laughs> to do it. Even though I am, did hard sciences for a number of years, physics was never my friend, nor was math. And so that's how I went oh, up well, in biology. Yeah. I am Dean Sachs, a senior security engineer at AWS Identity. And I should note I'm speaking on behalf of myself and not my MS lawyer today. But I have a degree in biology and then went to graduate school working on a uh, doctorate in genetics and molecular biology. And four years into that, kind of looked around and said, no, I don't really want to do this. Spend more time at the computer than the lab bench and started writing code.
0: All right. So you answered this a little bit, but how did you find yourself in identity? Doing a PhD in genetics and doing straight up physics may or may not lend itself to that. What was that process like?
3: Sure. When I was a youngin, I wanted to be a rocket scientist, like I thought that was the coolest thing. And so physics is a good way to get into rocket science. And then I went and I like opened up the one ads, like I got my degree in physics. And I was like, Oh, like, you can't just take an undergrad degree in physics and go like work for NASA. That's not a thing. You can go and like work for Raytheon or like some defense contractor and go build things that will kill lots of people and as a young and idealistic 20-something, I was like, no, I have really screwed myself. And so I like, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I got a job as like a secretary at a nonprofit. I was like, I have no idea what I'm gonna do. And it turned out that the website of the nonprofit was just god-awful. And I was like, well, I can do better than this. So I taught myself Python and I was like, okay, I got this content management thing, cool, gonna do that. And then the nonprofit laid me off and I was like, all right, if you're gonna lay me off, can you change my title from secretary to like technology services something? And then I got a job as a technology services something, right, and built up from there. And then eventually I got recruited by an identity team who said, we know a lot about identity and we can train you. We just need smart people. And uh, you have a year to ask all the stupid questions. And that was how I became an identity expert, was I spent a year asking all of the stupid questions about identity and it was great. And to, di- to this day, that's what I tell my new hire. I don't need you to know this, I need you to be smart and I need you to ask stupid questions. Like that is your job for the first year here.
4: That is a fantastic story. And asking the questions is great too. I got into this, like I said, I, I started writing code after graduate school, did some DBA work, eventually found my way into security, working at a banking company, and then found my way to the Gates Foundation. And it was there that my my boss at the time introduced me to the concept of identity and competing conference to this one where I met people like Ian Glazer. I thought, huh, this is really cool. But these people are really smart and I'm not one of them. A few years pass. I go. I move on to Amazon and then found myself working in the team that ran the Active Directory services for all of Amazon's internal employees and started my identity journey onward from there. And that led me to working with the Fido Alliance, eventually moving on to AWS Identity, et cetera. And, but it's been a... It's been a strange series of transitions. All of it has been fortuitous, none of it has been planned. It has just happened because I'm interested in things, I'm curious, I dive deep into them, and and here we are today.
0: I talked to two people recently, one who was political science, another one who studied how butterflies reproduce and they wound up in identity. And none of them feel like they've wasted what they had. So how would you say your background informs how you do identity. How does it benefit you now?
3: Dean brought up the concept of curiosity, which is critical to physics. A lot of the major advances in physics have come because someone didn't experiment and they expected a certain result and they didn't get it and they said Oh, that's weird. There's some quantum stuff going on here that we don't understand yet, and we're going to write a paper, and we're going to write another paper, and we're going to figure it out. And the same stuff happens in identity, right? Especially in the cloud. We release all these identity APIs, and they're like building blocks, right? They're like Legos, and some people go and build cars, and some people go and build castles, and you got to get curious and talk to them and be like, how did you even know you could do that? Like, how did you get that idea? Where are you going in the future? What can we build that'll help make your castle a better castle? This is so cool. What are you doing? And that's exactly the same spirit that you have to approach physics they're like, that's so cool, what is going on in there?
4: And I see it a little differently than that because I see that my graduate school training taught me how to think critically about things, how to really learn anything that I want to learn. And there are some things, like I mentioned math and physics, that are maybe beyond my abilities, and that's okay, I'm not interested. But for the things that I'm interested in, like identity protocols, et cetera, it became relatively easy to dive deep into them, read, think about it, consider it, and, and, and come out with some knowledge on the other side. And I think that is something that plays well, really in any, any technology space whatsoever, but for identity, because it's so fast moving, and there's such a unique intersection between the physical world, the digital world, and then how people feel about themselves. This is a really personal thing. So I think that really informs how I think about identity today. And more recently, my thinking about identity has actually changed and and moved away from some of the the sort of hard sciences and into more of the, the personal interactions around identity and thinking about the interpersonal interactions and how people communicate things about themselves. Whether it's gender expression or gender identity or sexuality or whatever it is, it's all part of this big bucket of stuff we call identity and it's all important and it intersects closely with security. And so, having those two two loves of my life intersect with each other is is the perfect way to again find that interest, dive really deep, and go research things and figure things out.
0: Our final pair of stories, taken a global perspective.
5: Hi, my name is Lance Peterman. I am the director of identity and access management at Equitable, a financial services firm. I am also the now ex president of ID Pro, as of two days ago a uh, little excited about that in terms of working on other things, but I'm also excited with the new officers that we've elected. It's, it's pretty exciting. I've been in Equitable a little over a year, been an identity for, I'll just say, decades. That way I stay ageless, <laughs> and in terms of my educational background, I have a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from the University of Houston, and I have a Master's in IT from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte where I am also now an adjunct member of its faculty teaching uh, software architecture and design.
6: And I am Erin Crowe. I'm a senior technical program manager at AWS, working with the AWS Identity Team. Prior to that, I worked in the customer service uh, side of the house, actually. I actually started as a customer service agent some eight and a half years ago, taking Kindle customer phone calls. And my educational background uh, is in political science. I have an undergraduate degree in international relations, and I have a master's degree in um, political science with some other sub-focuses on women's studies, Japanese language, and a a few other things I've forgotten about at this point, I think.
0: All right. So, fantastic. Now, how did you move from political science area into identity? Was there a cause, or what what did that look like for you?
6: Sure. It was very accidental for me. So I, I had been working at Amazon for a while while I was going to school and I was wrapping up my degree and getting ready to move to New York. And I was looking to move from still a very operationally focused project management role where I was managing um, project efficiency across a call center at, at large, uh, the, the Huntington Call Center in West Virginia. So I was getting ready to move to New York and I looked for what first program management job I could have and I actually found a customer service security posting with someone that I had exposure with in a prior role and we discussed I didn't have security background but I had some other program management aspects that that she liked so I took it thinking it would be a temporary six month stint until I could go do what was really my passion which was fashion and go work for Amazon fashion or something like that and then six months got in and I decided I loved it and I was staying. And I was I ended up working on, I didn't know it at the time, but very identity-focused projects. I started off working in account recovery, then graduated to frontline customer authentication, and it went from there.
0: So just to clarify, political science to fashion to identity <laughs> was your trajectory.
6: <laughs> it, I had so many different ideas about what I wanted to do. I, um, I, my master's degree, I actually studied, it's, I don't want to be a bummer, but a neonatal abstinence syndrome. So how public policy can impact women who are addicted to opiates and how we can get better mother-baby outcomes. So I was really in flux. I thought that I wanted to go and get my PhD in that area in public health. But then my career started taking off at Amazon, and I thought, I'll pump the brakes on that, and I think I want to work in the corporate side. And as far as like my corporate interests, I was like, well, I really like fashion, so I can go focus on that. So it wasn't so much an obsession with fashion as like thinking about where I could gear my Amazon career next. And then I found security instead, and just it clicked and it resonates with me in a big way
2: so
5: mine has a very similar track absent the fashion piece <laughs> i have no sense in fashion so while i was in college i started out pre-law i come from a debate background so i competed in high school debate started competing in college actually went up running the program at the university of houston at the time and after clerking at a very large law firm in Texas I discovered very quickly that law was not going to be where I wanted to be because I had this mantra of working to live not living to work as it turns out I still do that anyway I just happen to enjoy all the things I'm working at and so I gave up the law thing thinking I was gonna probably get my PhD but I was gonna do it in speech and become a professional debate coach and decided against that and then at that point, I'm at that stage where many undergraduates find themselves, what does it take for me to get a degree at this point? <laughs> and my advisor said, well, you have six hours left to get a degree in poli science at so. Cool. And I'm still at this stage where I'm like, I'm not entirely sure what I'm gonna be doing, but then the department chair in the speech communication school that I had a great relationship with said, look, you've been helping us out a ton with, it was a strong Mac environment at the time. I won't date myself by saying exactly when this was, but he's like, you're really good at this, of, of helping us fixing the PCs and all that good stuff. It's like, if the speech thing doesn't work out, you should do this. I, and I, it never even occurred to me at the time that like a career in IT would be a th- And so I started with that and identity just evolved naturally out of it because where I had my proclivity was, I always enjoyed being the middle of everything. So it started off with just break-fix workstation services because PCs weren't networked that well. And then with the advent of the internet, I got into directory systems, and that was kind of identity before they called it identity. And that just evolved over time a few years later. That's where I, went, that's where I landed. And so I, I did do my master's degree at the time, specifically with the purpose of teaching, also with the idea that eventually I would create an identity course that we seem to have sorely lacking in most undergraduate
6: educations. So see where There's no box that you can check in your college major that you want to go be an identity practitioner. So I feel many people do have the computer science background, but it's pretty consistent that I hear people say, yeah, we just started doing identity and then we didn't stop.
0: We found we liked it and we were prone to being good at it. How would you say your background influences how you do identity?
6: I think as a little bit of background maybe. Like I, I wondered sometimes when I was first getting into identity and trying to become more technically apt dive I- maybe choose the wrong path and I don't think that's the case anymore at all. I'm now very grateful that I have the background that I do because it really gave me an emphasis in critical thinking and writing skills, those kind of like practical things that are super important on the job no matter what kind of job that you have. But also I think it informs a lot of my perspective about the work that we do and I'm going to try really hard not to hop upon a soapbox but I just think that there is so much social impact and responsibility that we have as identity practitioners and the way that we shape and craft the internet at large and I'm really glad to have that perspective about through the political science learnings like how what we do and how the interaction with policy with law and even like between different states whether that's the United States or states in different countries like what that global picture is like and how the little ripples that we do uh, through online through identity through whatever have a larger global picture as well so it helps me contextualize this work in addition to the the tactical things
5: Yeah, I would say overall, it really hasn't had much impact on my identity career. And I'm being completely sarcastic in saying that it's, it really creates a, a tension for me because I teach in our computer science college, and obviously most of them are computer science majors. And the first thing I want to tell them is go study sociology or political science or women's studies or get that liberal arts background, because I, I can say without a moment's hesitation that the success that I've gained as a professional throughout my career is inextricably tied to my experience within the liberal arts. And so it's hard to look at that and say, and I do say it to my students, like, expand your experiences. When you have electives that you can take, don't just think in terms of, I want to go take an algorithms course. If that's something you want to do, by all means. But if you can take some things that expand your realm of experience and and your understanding of the world, it's only going to make you not just a better professional, but a better human
0: being. And and the flip side is true, too. If you have those degrees, then you're actually well-primed to do something like identity because you actually understand the intersection of how what we do interacts with real-world people and has real-world consequences. helps you think.
5: Yeah, because at the end of the day, identity is about relationships. And especially when you're in the liberal arts realm, that's an undercurrent, really, in any of those majors, of of how you define those things, even if you're looking at something from a sociological perspective. And some of my students have been tripping over that as well, accidentally, and it's been fun to watch. I make them write, which most of the courses in that college do not make them do. And the good news is I tell them, you can pick any subject that you want. And some of the more motivated students will pick things like, racial bias in uh, biometric technologies. And they'll come back to me and and talk about, like really open their eyes, how most biometric technology nowadays can't recognize two thirds of the world that's out there. If I happen to be a white male, I'm sad, but if you're any other color, any other gender, it's much, much harder to get those things trained properly. And so hopefully it's opening their eyes more and, and they'll explore more of that.
6: Yeah. I'm relieved to hear it. If you think back to the Digital ID Summit that we participated in yesterday, we had a lot of conversations about what the use cases are. But then there was also a lot of question around what is the undercurrent of some of these, like what is the accessibility to different types of populations, to people of different like socioeconomic classes, and then to your point, like how are some of these technologies, how do they impact across different races as well? And I think that if you don't have people that have a really broad appreciation. Of those and are asking the questions and are trained to look for those things, we're going to leave out a large, pop, a large portion of the population, we're going to build things that aren't really real world applicable, or they don't have the intended effects that we really want. So I think if we can find a way to, to inject more of that kind of like well-roundedness as part of the dialogue about what's important to educate people going forward, we'll be in a much better, we'll be in a good position long term.
5: I think a good example of that too is, without going too overtly political, the discussion around identity requirements for voting. Yep. And a lot of people, when I talk to people that, just by way of also imparting other knowledge, I happen to work a precinct and Charlotte when we have our elections and I love doing it because I get to interface with people and just see different experiences. But one of the challenges that people have in understanding why ID requirements for voting are so disenfranchising is they think in terms of their regular world and that I have No problem with my driver's license or Having yeah. a credit card or having something that can prove who I am when there are people out there in this country We're not even talking third-world countries that are in underserved populations who for whatever reason their house may have burned down On their original documentation that proves who they are. is not available to them And so it's just yeah. not that simple and, right That's part of what excites me about identity, is we're in that world, but it's also part of the challenge. It's
0: very nuanced. It's tricky. There's a podcast I did before, was a woman, was a professor from Santa Barbara, someplace in California. She's a poll observer. Mm. She was fascinating, because she talked about how electronic voting systems, if you want to put them in place, you have to build trust and good faith with the community, and how do you verify results. A lot like audit and identity governance, but she was amazing. And then we have an interview also with a Swiss guy, who is the guy who consulted on the Swiss voting system, where they open sourced it right before they turned it on, because Swiss Switzerland has direct voting, and they found three major flaws within two days, so they shut it all down and rethink. But he's it, amazing too. Anyway, political science, and so I thought you might find those people. They're just fascinating. Absolutely. That's Um, one
5: of the reasons why I got into it. I actually reached out to Matt Blaze, who is a a computer science professor and and an expert in this field. And I said, look, I'm really interested in election security. Where do I start? He's like, become a poll volunteer. I was like, OK, done. Fair enough. And now I'm an election judge. So.
0: (laughs) Many thanks to Hutch, John, Dean, Sarah, Aaron and Lance for taking the time to share their narratives. These are six surprising stories of entry into identity, but there are many more all around you. You see, almost no one is prepared for a career in identity. Almost everyone finds their way into it, finds a community, and starts learning to find their niche. The the takeaway from all of these stories and those like them is fairly straightforward. To succeed in identity, you really only need three things, a desire to learn, a healthy curiosity, and the courage to ask questions.